2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show where we demonstrate that simply everything has its own history, like imps, dents and
1: ropes, Or hugs, tugs and jugs. (laughs) Plugs, slugs and fugs. Nothing like a good fug. No. Especially around Christmas time. Happy Christmas, everyone. Happy Christmas. We will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam? Who knew? But the history of Jim is about monasticism, women's societies, gridlock, and going underground. <laughs> like what <I> did there? <laughs> yeah, yeah it. very much so. Yeah, very good. And pockets. Pockets are all about World War II, US politics, feminism, and of course the history of crime. I, I love the history of pockets. I want
2: to write a book about the history of pockets. So do I. Maybe we'll um, well we'll certainly get it in. Yes. Um,
1: are we doing... Well? I'm... Pockets. I've just written pockets. Well, that's why you're on it. Yes, I'm on it. Did you know that when paratroopers came out of their planes on D-Day, <laughs> their pockets split, showering uh, the contents of their pockets all over Normandy? Really... Sewing that... up pockets is interesting.
2: Yes. Anyway, we're getting a little Lucy jacket. Lockett lost a pocket. The man sitting opposite me is the bus conductor of Route 1066 and all that.
1: Love it. I love it.
2: That's brilliant. It's
1: Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James Daybell. Hello, James. Hello, Sam, and hello, everybody. Uh, And the man sitting opposite me is the St. Nicholas of Nautical Knowledge. Mm. It's the famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. Uh, Hello, everyone, and thank you
2: very much for that, James. So this is part two of our Christmas special because we got very carried away with our part one and it ended up being really long. We only talked about half of what we were going to talk about. Um, So we're going to carry on.
1: Yes, I'm going to start though before because otherwise I might forget. Since this is Christmas and Happy Christmas, yes. I'm not going to see you over Christmas. But I have a little gift for Ooh. you to open. Oh my God, he's bought me a present live on air. <sighs> happy Christmas, Sam. He he has got nothing for me. <laughs> so thoughtless.
2: It's so big, I couldn't get it in my <laughs> shed. That's the problem.
1: Uh, That's it. What is this? A mousetrap? Is no, it a prime mousetrap? You'll see. You'll see,
2: and you'll think, Ah, oh, how thoughtful. It's not going to cause me pain. It's not. You see the opposite of that. You look a bit hurt, actually, when you even suggest that. No, no. Um, So, okay, it is about the size of a small biscuit tin. It's not biscuits. It's not food. It's not biscuits, but it's, um, you know, it's a a couple of inches high. It's rectangular. Uh, I think it would be meaningful when you open it. Six or seven inches long. Do you have members of your family who talk you through your opening of gifts? Yes,
1: I, I I also have I also have two daughters who basically open my gifts for me. <laughs> yeah, my two. Daddy, could we just help you undo the tape? Okay, uh, I'm I'm not a very good unwrapper of things. It's almost as if you're trying to preserve. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's very funny.
1: <laughs> so tell them what it is and why I chose oh God, it, it for you. Even
2: smells. Uh, he has bought me some Lynx Africa <laughs> um, body spray and body wash. Now this is because wow. yeah there's a reason for this in it's our live show
1: that we've been doing we have there's a section where we talk about the history of perfume and Sam and I have got this perfume from the Mary the Mary Celestia Mary Celestia Mary Celestia it's, and it's about 1860s yeah. and it's re and what we do it's 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 a they they harvest the genetic DNA of the perfume and they've recreated it and so it's perfume that was found in a ship, bottle yes. of
2: perfume found in a shipwreck. Some very clever um, scientists have recreated the perfume. And um, we hand a bit of it around on a live show.
1: so people yes. could smell some perfume from the 1860s. And then one, one person, we asked them what, the, what it smells like. And somebody shouted out, it smells exactly like Lynx Africa. <laughs> and neither of us uh, use no. Lynx Africa or had any idea. No. Sam now uh, has Lynx Africa. I do, I do. So um, does it smell like the perfume? no. No. I think that it was a joke that they were making. It was a
2: joke making, but it's nice to know what Lynx Africa actually smells like. And yes. it it doesn't smell like a beautifully handcrafted perfume from the eighteen sixties. No. Well in the
1: morning when you when you um if should you should you ever use that <laughs> you'll know exactly what it smells like. So Christmas, where are we going with Christmas? I, I think we should offer it as a prize. We should offer we should definitely <laughs> offer it as a prize. Um, Christmas for me is all about food. Yes, and I said last time that I'd, I tried to order my Christmas turkey in in September, yeah. which was slightly too early. Uh, although I have ordered now, ordered the most brilliant uh, Christmas turkey, which is deboned and Ooh. and then stuffed, and then with lattice work of, of bacon all around. Amazing, Dart's Farm Butchery, brilliant. I've also made my Christmas cake. Yeah, uh, Mary Berry's uh, apricot Christmas cake. So I'm, uh, I'm, last year we fed your Christmas cake. Was last year or the year before we fed it, I didn't bring it along uh, this time. Okay, I'm a bit disappointed in it. I've taken pictures of it. It's not my usual Delia Smith trusty uh, Christmas cake, so I'm experimenting this year. But mm. Christmas is all about food, and it's all about the history of carrots. Mm. And this relates to some work that I've been doing on the history of carrots for World War Two. Mm-hmm. What happens when you've got rationing and you can't get fats and lard and you can't get hold of all the ingredients that go into a cake primarily sugar well instead a cake or a christmas pudding during the war you have to be very handy and use what is being grown yeah carrots and carrots were vegetables were never rationed During the war, while other things like all the things that I was talking about and jam and and meat Mm. were all rationed, but there was this great big push for dig for victory. So everyone sort of turned over their gardens and all sorts of space and parks and golf courses were all turned over to helping out the the war effort. And carrots were a one of the sort of staple commodities that they encouraged people to grow. And Doctor Carrot was a cartoon character who carried a vitamin A-labeled uh, suitcase. Yeah. And he was one of the characters that was used to try and tell people about um, the healthy benefits of carrots. What happened was <laughs> by that by 1943, they had a surplus of 100,000 tons of carrots. Hmm. And they produced a little cookbook... For carrots, a leaflet, leaflet number four, is the Ministry of Food cookery leaflet number four, which is dedicated entirely to carrots. And you have recipes for raw carrots, even thrifty recipes for a carrot cap salad, steamed carrots, boiled carrots, braised carrots. Carrots and sprouts, carrots and peas, (laughs) carrots baked round the joint, Mm. carrot soup, and... These are just ways of cooking them rather than recipes. Curried carrots, carrot croquettes, uh, carrot savoury, which is carrots, margarine, and flour, and the wonderfully titled War and Peace Pudding. War and Peace Pudding. War and Peace Pudding. And this would have been cooked in wartime. It was made in Canada during the First World War... And since then, many people haven't bothered with it. But I'm just going to read you the recipe. Mix together one cupful of flour, one cupful of breadcrumbs, half a cupful of suet, you need to save that, half a cupful of mixed dried fruit, and if you like, a tablespoon of mixed sweet spice. Then add, and here's the important thing, a cupful of grated raw potato, a cupful of grated raw carrot, and finally, a level teaspoon of bicarbonate of soda dissolved in two teaspoons of hot water. Mix all together, turn into a well-greased pudding bowl, and the bowl should not be more than two-thirds full, boil or steam for at least two hours. Mmm, nothing says Christmas like carrot pud. Uh, and that's what you'd have at Christmas? Yes. Hmm. Yes, war and peace pudding. So this is a recipe for a Christmas pudding mm. that would have been made during wartime. Wow. Eat your heart out, Heston Blumenthal. <laughs> Cup of raw potatoes. Yes, with, and... your, with your dissolving orange stuck in your <laughs> middle of your pudding. I had one of those one year and it didn't work. Ooh. I took it back to Waitrose and they're such nice people at the local Waitrose. Uh, they just gave me another pudding.
2: Mm,
1: that's nice. Very kind. Wait, Christmas is a time for returns, isn't it? Yes, it, it um, is. Yes, what have you got for us about Christmas? I've got the Holocaust guilt, shame and denial. Oh, Sam. <laughs> that's, that's lovely. Isn't it? It's lovely. It's my... I'll, I'll then read you something nice to put you back in the Christmas spirit. It's my
2: Christmas gift to you, James. I consciously chose to talk about this um, because it is not an obviously joyous Christmas theme, but it's very, very important. And it's something I came across when I was writing for our little book, Histories of the Unexpected for World War II, which mm. we've, we've, we've nearly finished. And I wrote a chapter on rubble. Mm. Now, I haven't read that one yet. Oh, it's really, really, really interesting. Looking forward to it. Yeah. There are so two aspects of the history of rubble, which one of them we can't really talk about because it's not that Christmassy, but there were rubble women. You know, you talk about puzzle women. <gasps> yeah, There were rubble women who cleared the German streets of rubble. Um, it, it's really, really important. But there were also rubble films.
1: Goodness me. Yeah, so Rubble the, films?
2: Rubble films. So these were films that were made just immediately after, really early on after the war. forty-six. And they were set in the ruins of German cities. And it was part of a drive to regenerate the very high quality German film industry. Now, the films that were made were controlled or censored by the Allies who were in in control of that part, whether it was the Russians of the East or or, um, Americans and the French, particularly uh, in West Berlin. So they were in control of the types of films that the Germans were allowed to make, but they were all set in rubble and they were not allowed to include any sense of militarism or national pride. And they had to directly address the gravity of the nation's mistakes, not just during the war, but during the entire 12 years of Nazi rule. One of the earliest, most important was released in October 1946, and it's called The Murderers Are Among Us. And it explores lots of really important themes that Berliners were experiencing after the war. So one of the themes that they explore, which actually has got a Christmas link, is is the idea of home and ownership and, and where you feel at home. Mm. Coming back to home. And it's the story of a woman who comes back to Berlin after the war, and she walks through the rubbled streets of Berlin. She goes up to her flat and she, she meets the optician who lives downstairs and he survived the war and they say hello. And they, it, it's a sort of a wonderful reuniting. And she goes back up to her flat, but there's someone in her flat. And Ooh. property theft and squatting was a massive problem after the war. So people didn't right. know who had survived, who had died, what the, what the situation is. So there's a very hostile, unpleasant guy living in her flat. A squatter. A squatter. He, uh, he says it's his flat. She says, actually, it's mine. I've got all the paperwork. And he looks out the window with her and points at the, the wilderness of Berlin. He said, all of these people had bits of paper too, but they don't anymore. Very, very sinister. He refuses to leave. So they end up sharing the flat and they actually get to know each other. Lots of kind of confrontations between them to do with decoration, to do with memory, to do with how things were before the war. This does come round to Christmas in a minute. It's but one, fascinating. It is fascinating. But one of the most important bits is where they put the Christmas tree.
0: Okay? Oh, love that There's link. There's
2: a moment when they get a Christmas tree and they discuss where it's going to go. And the lady sets it up. And then the man stops. He goes pale, becomes very aggressive and hostile. And she's just put a small Christmas tree on the chest of drawers. And he he says to her... And she says, yes, of course it is. I've got lots of happy memories attached to the Christmas tree of my family's before the war. It's actually one of the most important parts of of her Christmas, of her year. Mm. And it actually profoundly brings her back to this happy moment before the war. He, in a very cynical voice, says that that only works if the tree creates the right mood. So he's obviously got memories linked with Christmas, which are are not good. And what happens is that through a series of flashbacks, they explore what's happened to him. Mm. And it turns out that he was fighting in Russia. And on Christmas Eve, previous two years, he witnessed a war crime where his captain above him murdered a village full of Russians. And, he tries to argue his captain out of the war crime, out of the execution on the basis that it's Christmas Eve. The captain refuses to accept that, and he tells the doctor, this guy called Mertens, to to just decorate the Christmas tree in the army barracks in which they're in. So this soldier oh, is decorating gosh. the Christmas tree, while outside while the window you see mass up. slaughter oh, going gosh. on out through the window. And as Mertens realizes that the guns are going off and he hears the slaughter, he drops the star that he's decorating the top of the christmas tree with and it falls in the snow and it's trodden on and then it gradually unfolds and it's the star of david and there's this moment so actually he's he's decorating the top of the christmas tree with the star of david and then there's mass slaughter going on outside and so it's it's a scene that unpicks the holocaust it's a scene that unpicks um the guilt and the shame involved with war crimes and also very cleverly links it all back to the themes of what's going on in Berlin after the war and memories associated with pre-war and Christmas. It's unbelievably clever. That's
1: incredibly powerful.
2: It is, and it really kind of highlights the complexities of Christmas across the ages and in different locations as well, and what Christmas and what memory, it's all so linked with history,
1: can actually mean for people. It's very powerful, very dangerous. Yeah. So I want to go somewhere else with this. And in our... Previous episode, we talked about fires and fire not being taken in and out of the the house because it was bad luck. Yeah, which brings me to the theme of superstition and Christmas. And you wouldn't believe the kinds of things, kinds of superstitions that people had, particularly on Christmas Eve. Mm. And Christmas Eve was a time for love divination, so the idea that you would be able to predict who you were going to marry in the forthcoming year. I love that. So it's like a chink in the light of
2: time. It is. So do you see what I mean? It's a it, chink it, in the light, light so, of time. So not a chink in the... What am I trying to say? Not light, the, the sort of the ladder of time. Yes. The process. So actually, you can, at Christmas Eve, it allows... you able
1: to... Look forward or back. Yes. And do you know why? It's because the spirits and the witches are powerless on Christmas they're Eve. They're powerless. Powerless. That's interesting. And that, so, you can, so, so you're able to sort of dabble in those areas... The sort of superstitious areas safely Is that what without, thing, does? without things going wrong I imagine that's what he does that's exactly yes. what he does because yes. there's this bit where he looks He's out of the window and, yes. and, and the
2: streets are full yes of spirits full of spirits yes. aren't yes. they all sort of move, moving around yes. and sort of going along we talked about uh, Christmas Carol in part one of this
1: so if you we want did. to hear what we're talking we about go back to that so uh, the spirits are powerless I love that so love divination and there's a story recorded by one of those folklorists I was telling you about records this from Derbyshire in the 1890s and it says that if a girl walk backwards to a pear tree on Christmas Eve and walk around the tree three times, she will see an image of her future husband Wow, so it's this idea do you remember when we talked about Halloween and we talked about the 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 scuttle that was put on the fire yes with, yes, nu- yes. with jumping nuts? yes, it's another sort of tradition that's associated with. Working out who you were going to marry. I'd Love that. You should
2: do the history of walking backwards.
1: Is that even? Can we do that? Let's challenge ourselves. That's a very good one. Is that a thing? Very. I think so. Yeah. I think you could walk backwards in all sorts of ways. Backwardness. Walking backward. I'm going to note down walking, particularly walking
2: backwards. I think. Here we are. I'll type that up. Very good. Excellent. I have another.
1: I have another superstition for you, which is related to Christmas cards. Okay. Those of you who are sitting. Looking at your mantelpiece or your houses, wherever you put your Christmas cards, have a look at the robin Christmas cards. We all love a robin on a Christmas card, but did you know that they're in fact bad luck? Hmm. Superstition says that if a wild bird enters one's house, it spells death for someone in the family. And this extends to not only wallpaper, crockery, but also Christmas cards. And there, again, there's one of my folklorists, 1955, recorded in Gloucestershire. A young woman told me it was a death sign to receive a Christmas card with a robin on it. This saying dashed me considerably at the time, as I had just had cards with robins printed. However, I sent them out in spite of the warning, and I'm happy to say that there was no undue mortality amongst friends that year. Hmm. Isn't that incredible? Do you have any Christmas... Robins um, around? Robins on the tree? Yes, we certainly used to have one. We used to have a little
2: yep. t- little clippy kind of Victorian one. I think my my mum and dad have still got We've got, got tonnes. We've got tonnes. I, I might take them down this year. Do you know what? The more I think about Christmas, the more you, you sort of take the lid off it. It's
1: full of some crazy, crazy stuff. It's full of weird stuff. Decorations. Yeah. You've already got your tree up. Yeah. And what are we? We're recording this on the 6th of December. Yeah. Your tree is already up. We're not allowed to have a tree up. My youngest daughter, uh, who's a very formidable young woman, will not let us have Christmas decorations up until after her birthday, uh, which is on the 7th of December. Otherwise, I would have it up on, you know, last week in but, November. Yeah, but I mean, so, so but, it used to be a Christmas Eve thing. So it used to didn't? be a Christmas Eve thing and used to extend to Candlemas, which is the 2nd of February. So you would, you would keep your dec- – you'd put your decorations up on Christmas Eve very late – so there'd be a sort of hurry to do that, and then you. But then you would leave them up for the entirety of January. And now, the tradition is that you leave them up until Twelfth Night. Yeah, yeah. So although we, although a lot of people feel that after New Year is over, that it's a little bit sort of tired and sad. Yeah. To have things up,
2: but before it, it's all to do with the darkest time of year. That's yes. That's why yes. it would have, yes. would have gone on yes. for so long. Yes. Um But also, when you talk about Christmas trees, it's all. Kind of, it was all upper class families. There's, yes. there's a social yes. class thing to it, and I happen to know because I've been reading A Christmas Carol recently uh, for our, for part one of this podcast that there are no Christmas trees in a Christmas Carol. 1840s, not. 1843. It was too early, so the Christmas tree is a surprisingly modern invention. It really is surprisingly yes. modern invention.
1: Mm. Holly, holly, well, holly, yeah. Superstition associated with holly. There are and, two superstitions here. One is of the type of holly that you bring in. Prickly holly and smooth holly. The prickly holly is male, and the smooth holly is female. Dependent on which type of holly you bring in first, that is going to be the person who is the master of the house for the rest of the year. (laughs) Really? If you bring spiky male holly in first, it means it's going to be a patriarchy. If you bring in smooth female holly it's going to be a matriarchy. It's a nest of vipers, it is. and then so you, you can get everything wrong. Then can't you it? need to burn Holly. We, in fact, we were on the Kerry White Show, BBC Radio Devon, hmm. uh, a week ago, and she had a, a listener who phoned in saying that she had Holly with berries on it, and it needed to be burnt when it was taken out, and mm. that's a that's a tradition as well.
2: Yeah. Well.
1: Goodness me. I mean, I
2: I think we could do an actual dedicated podcast of the Unexpected History of Christmas and just keep going on. I think we could.
1: So where have we gone? We've gone... I want to read us some Laurie Lee. Oh, you've got some more. Am I allowed to read us a little bit of Laurie Lee? Yes, of course. Sort of get us in in the festive season. This is about putting up decorations around the time. This is from a brilliant collection that came out recently, A Village Christmas and other notes on the English year, which was sort of collecting together some of his his sort of seasonal writings, and there's a beautiful edition that came out. Christmas in the country meant feasts and fires, a few brief days of excess, when even the poorest amongst us would confront the stern gods of winter and the bravest possible show of good living. Everybody was busy this morning chopping wood, carrying in logs, or sitting on the doorstep plucking ducks or geese, Now the time had come for us to go to the woods and collect leaves for decorating the house. This is Christmas Eve. Among the black and bare fir trees we shook the snow from the undergrowth with frost-reddened fingers seeking the sharp spiked holly, bunches of laurel and ivy, cold clusters of moon-pale mistletoe, With these, our sisters transformed the familiar kitchen into a grotto of shining leaves, an enchanted bower woven from twigs and branches sprinkled with scarlet berries. After tea, as darkness fell, we put on our coats and scarves and trooped off with mother to the town several miles down the wind-whipped valley. We always left the buying of our presents to this eleventh hour as part of the season's dramatic crescendo joining the rest of our neighbours who were all now heading from the shops to catch the last glitter of Christmas eve so that that's exact that captures it the sort of early 20th century christmas yeah. that everything was done on christmas eve yeah interesting there the sort of gender distinctions as well is the sisters that do all the decoration inside and the boys that go out and get all the get all goodies, the holly and the logs the and, and everything so where have we gone? Where have we? Gosh, golly, we've gone everywhere
2: all over again, haven't we? Carrots. Carrots. We, we did Carrots and uh, we did Dig for Victory. We did Darkness. Um, we did a bit of Darkness. Rubble. Rubble. Um, Christmas Carol again. Yeah, a bit of Holocaust. Lynx Africa. Uh, links Africa. We and, did Lynx
1: Africa. And ending with Laurie Lee and Back to Christmas trees. Yes. So uh, Lynx um, Africa, Lynxus, makes me think about what we're doing in the new year. And we are doing more... Histories of the Unexpected Live, aren't we? We are. And in particular, we are at the upstairs at the Gatehouse in Highgate yep. on the 2nd and 3rd of February. We're doing an evening show on the Saturday night and we're doing a matinee at 4 o'clock on the Sunday. So you should come along and see us if you live in the capital city of London town or not you just come up and see us we've got yes. a special
2: offer for um living history people if you were a living history reenactor, and if you come along to one of our shows in your full regalia and kit then we will give you a discounted ticket you get an invite to a social meetup after the show where you get a free drink and you get a chance to win a prize we want to see as many of you living history people there as possible we think it's absolutely fantastic what you do brilliant now if you like what you hear please do leave us a review on
1: iTunes subscribe to the podcast and tell all your friends we're on Twitter you can follow me at Dr Sam Willis and you can follow me at James Daybell and you can follow Histories of the Unexpected on at Unexpected Pod we are proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network home of Dan Snow's History Hit and a slew of other great shows.
2: And um, you can find out more about what we've got planned with our books and our live shows and everything on
1: historiesoftheunexpected.com. Thank you very very much for listening. Thank you very very much and wherever you are, I hope you are having a wonderful Christmas. Bye bye.